Welcome to the Vineyard. We are glad to have you here with us this morning. We are in our series called Inconvenient, that there are moments in your time, uh, excuse me, in your life that are inconvenient, and you have to decide as you head toward the life that you're praying to God for, are you going to do what's comfortable and convenient, or are you going to do it God's way, and even if it's inconvenient, you decide you're going to do that so that you can embrace the relationship, the marriage, the job, the schooling, whatever it is, you embrace the, the very life that you've been praying for. And so we are looking at that today. Now, we wanted to have a lot of fun, and so we invited um, the band to be here with us this morning, and graciously, they were amazing. I'm sure that that was inconvenient for them. I don't doubt that at all. But we had a blast with them um, this morning, and they're amazing. And I'm telling you, I mean, pray about it, but you know, I, tonight, I just want Sanctus Real to rip the roof off the place and let Jesus in. Just wreck central Kentucky. And it's like, I hope it's inconvenient. I hope it's amazing. I hope it's everything that God wants it to be, and that's the way it is. But we're looking at things today, and, and I really didn't have a, a title that I was comfortable with or settled on. Um, for lack of a better a word, I'm going to call it an inconvenient trust. But I want to talk to you about who is God in your life. Not like, are you God? Is your car God? Is that? Not, not that, okay? Who is God? Who is God? When you say, I love God, when you say, I'm following God, who is God who is seated on the throne inside your life? Who is that? Who are we talking about? Because that's what I want. Is God God when things are wonderful, or is God God still when things go bad? There's a guy in the Bible, and I want to share this story about this guy. His name is Job. Maybe you do know him, maybe you don't know him. But here's the setup. Job um, is a story about a man. God was seated on his throne. The angels were coming in to um, give an account for who they were, what's going on, maybe what their jobs are. I don't know. I look forward to learning that when I get to heaven. But they were coming in and giving an account, giving an account to God. And it just so happens that Satan also came in. Now, I'm just going to tell you that I take the Bible literally. I believe it. I actually believe it. The New Testament references Job not as a metaphor but as truth. Therefore, I choose to believe it. So this is what happened. Satan came in into the presence of God, and in the course of events, God said, Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? What an amazing guy he is. Now, Job was that guy in our knowledge on, on the planet today that had everything. He had the big yacht, he had the big car, he had all the kids, he was a captain of his industry, he had all the money that he wanted, he, except that he chased after God. He believed in the person of God. He had a relationship with God. But this is a man that was wealthy beyond wealthy and had you know, various and sundry um, businesses going on all at the same time. And Satan says to God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody will follow you, God, when they have your favor. Anybody will follow you, God, when you give them everything that they want. When you give them the health, and when you give them the knowledge to create the wealth, when you give them the favor to gain the wealth, when they have everything that everybody, when they are the people that clearly have it all, who wouldn't follow you, God, and who wouldn't be faithful to you? And God says, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go ahead and attach that man Go right ahead, but don't touch his physical body. And Satan says, okay, I'm going out from here. And so he goes out here and, and he touches this man's life. And he absolutely wrecks it. 
You ever had one of those days in your life that just went from bad to worse, and then from worse to much worse? And you're thinking, God, where the heck are you? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what's going on down here, God? Are you aware? Because this hurts, and I can't handle it. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe you lost a job. I don't know, but have you ever had one of those lives that just continued to fall apart? Because this is Job's life. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. While that man was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, they are all dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, now, fell to the ground in worship means he was face down in the dirt. Doesn't mean he was singing, oh, the reckless love of God. It means he was laying on his face in the presence of God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. And so we have this story of this man that had a number of sons and daughters, and it just so happened that every time they got together at one of the old, or excuse me, at the oldest son's house, that the next day after they had a party, Job would go out of his way to make sacrifices just in case they sinned. Just in case they had a drunken party, just in case something happened, he wanted to allay the wrath of God from his family. And so he was willing, he was willing to make sacrifice, kill his own sheep and goats on their behalf, but he had that kind of a relationship with God. And life was good for him, and things were going well, and he was succeeding, and his businesses were growing, and he was accumulating wealth, and people looked at him, and he probably said, God gave me this, or the Lord in heaven has done this for me. And I'm sure he credited God. And then one day, and Job has no clue why at all, one day, people start running in saying, you're never going to believe what happened. You're never going to believe what happened. You're never going to believe what happened. And I noticed, just as I was reading it for the first time in all of these years, that Job doesn't move until it's his family. Boy, doesn't that say something to you about a man? That he's not wrapped up in his stuff. He's not wrapped up in his 401k. He understands that that's a privilege, but his wealth is in his family. But when his family got robbed from him, that's when he finally got up and threw himself in the dirt, ripped his clothes, and cried out to God. And it wasn't like a, Lord, I love you, you're so awesome. He rips his robe, lays down in the dirt, and he cries out, and he says, who am I? Naked I came into this world, and I will go out the same way. I didn't have houses, I didn't have wealth, I didn't have care. I had nothing when I came in, I will have nothing when I leave. 
But God is to be praised even when I don't understand it. And then there's 50 chapters in the book of Job. 50 chapters of Job trying to understand this. In this first chapter, at one point, his, his wife comes up to him and says, Job, you just need to curse God and die. Just curse God. And, 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 and Job just thinks she's a crazy lady and says, get away from me. And then his friends start. God help us if we have friends like this, but they were doing the best they could, as ignorant as they were. And they came in and they said, Job, surely you sinned. Surely that's what's going on. Because good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, so we know that you're a bad person. And some of you actually have that theology. Some of you actually believe that that's the way it works. That somehow you earn your salvation from God. That somehow you earn the favor of God. That somehow you could possibly disappoint God. The only way you can disappoint God is if God doesn't know what tomorrow holds for you. And since I know He does, it's not possible for you to disappoint Him. You can, you can act against Him. You can do what He doesn't want you to do, but you cannot disappoint Him because He already knows where you're going tomorrow. And so here's Job, and all of his friends are saying, dude, just, you might as well just confess it up and tell us what you did because you know you did something wrong. And they just take turns one after another after another. And Job takes a moment and he, he, he talks to himself and he examines himself and he realizes he hasn't done anything wrong that he's aware of. He hasn't sinned against God. And so they have this 50-chapter argument back and forth and never does, does Job say, God, you had no business doing that to me. There is a time where he says, Lord, I wish you would come down here right now and tell me why you did this. I need to be able to look you in the eye and say, Lord, why did you do this? And sooner or later, the Lord catches up and said, where were you when the first mountain goat gave birth to her offspring? Where were you when I set the foundations of the sky? And pretty soon Job was, Job was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean that, Lord. Please don't do this to me. Please. You know, we scream and holler at God. What are you going to do if he shows up? It's like that dog chasing that car down the road. What's he going to do when he bites a hold of that tire and hangs on? It's all good when you're just barking. But what happens when God's there? And Job backs down in a hurry. But there's this picture of what's going on in Job's life, and that's what I want to talk about. Because look, in 50 chapters of the book of Job, however long this took, God never answered Job with a why. Job did not know why this all happened until he saw God in heaven. And he didn't see God in heaven until Jesus died and paid the price for him to get in. Until then, even after he died, he could not get to heaven. Nobody had paid the way. Let that simmer inside of your heart. And so we have this picture of this God. And this God interacts with Job, and Job doesn't know why. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when you were so excited about your job, and you were so stoked, and you went into your boss's office, and he was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And you're in because you know you're getting that promotion. You know you're finally getting that you know, $100 a week raise, and you're so stoked, and, and this is how it's going to be. And you walk in there, and he says, sit down. We're downsizing. You just lost your job. And you say, whoa, how can that be? And you go out and you get in your car and you start off down the road. You look and you see a text. And in the course of it, it's your fault. You run into somebody else. And you say, God, can it get any worse? 
And the truth of the matter is it can. It can. But have you had a day like that when you're like, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. See, that's, that's, what, I want you to, that's what I want you to wrestle with this morning. I want you to deal with that question. That time in your life, and some of you may be there now. You came home from work and your wife said, it's over, I'm leaving you, I don't want anything to do with you again. Walk away. When your husband said, I want somebody younger and thinner and prettier after you put him through college and everything else so he could get his degree. You ever been there? You did lose your job? The police showed up and said, hey, we just found your child in a ditch in their car. They ran off the road and they're gone. You ever been there? See, we work and we live with people all the time whose child just died of an overdose or they're in the hospital or they're broken up or there was a motorcycle accident or cancer was the word from the doctor when you thought you were feeling great and you don't know what's going on. It's in those moments that we cry out to God that I wonder who God is to you. Is he still God? You see, the Old Testament is full of people who interacted with God in various situations, some of them celebratory and some of them difficult. And in all of these situations, they called God by a name. And I want to talk to you about who is God to you. What is God's name to you? Well, his name is Jehovah. Okay, but see, in the Old Testament, when somebody interacted with God in a very powerful way, they called him a name. Not like they called him names. <laughs> Don't call God names, okay? But they called him a name. They gave him a name so that they could refer to him. Let, let me just share with you just for a second. Jehovah Jireh is the name that God, uh, Abraham gave to God when God provided the ram in the thicket when God asked him to, to kill Isaac. And it means the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. El Roi, God who sees, the God who sees me. That was Hagar when she was driven out by Sarah because Sarah was jealous of the son she had and her son was beating on um, Sarah's son. Hagar's son was beating on Sarah's son and so Herod, uh, um, Sarah um, drove her, Hagar, out into the desert to die and Hagar went out there to die. She did. She went out to die. And the Lord saw her and said, Hagar, what are you doing out here? And Hagar gave God a name. He is the Lord that sees me. Jehovah Mekadesh is the Lord that makes us holy and sanctifies us. Jehovah Nisi is the Lord who is our banner, and it's the, the name that Moses called God when they had victory over the Amalekites. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord who heals you and I. Jehovah Rohi is the Lord who, he is our shepherd. The Lord, he is our shepherd. And that's what David called God in uh, um, Psalm 23. Jehovah Shalom is Gideon's name for God when he thought that he would die because he saw God and God brought peace into his life and said, be at peace. He called him Jehovah Shalom. And Adonai is God who is our powerful leader. He is powerful. These are names that various people use to refer to God based upon their circumstances. And I wonder, what did Job call God in the midst of all of that? And were you to find yourself, and, and again, some of you have, in Job's circumstances, do you call on God? And what's the name you use? What's the name? Because I've found in America over the last couple of years that we create idolatrous gods in our lives. Because we think that God chases us and chases us and chases us because we're the center of God's universe. And the fact of the matter is God is the center of the universe. We're supposed to be chasing God. But what we do is we take God, and when God's not convenient, we just change Him. 
And a couple of years ago, I was processing this out in my life, and I began to think about the gods that we make God into. And I wonder who is God to you? And I want to share these three gods that I see over and over and over and over again in people's lives. And I'm not being a heretic. I'm not being a fool. I am being a little silly, but it's all metaphor. And I want you to grab a hold of the metaphor. And these are the metaphors. Some of you chase after a God, and he is a Barbie God. And you say, what do you mean a Barbie God, Pastor Joe? He is a God that when you're not satisfied with who he is, you just accessorize him. You just change it and give him, give him a purse of salvation. Give him shoes of grace. And then you say, well, I don't like God because he might be this or that. And you just swap him up. You change his outfits. You change his gender. You, you twist him and bend him so he fits whatever it is that you want. He's Barbie God. One of my favorite um, um, quotes from a movie comes in Remember the Titans. When the two girls are playing together and the one little girl, the blonde-haired girl, says to the other little girl, she says, hey, do you want to go out and play basketball? And the other little girl's playing with her Barbies and she says, no. And she goes, are you just going to play with your dolls all day? And she says, I am not playing with dolls. I am accessorizing. <laughs> I have two daughters. I get that. They accessorize. Some of you think that God is just a God up there that you can just change at will. And you can just say, you know what? I'm just going to add this to God. I'm going to add that to God. I'm going to make God like this. I'm going to make God like that. He's going to be a God that I can change outfits on and I can do what I need him to be and he can be who I need him to be. And I'm just going to tell you, we don't chase after God after our salvation moment all of the time. We don't chase after him to discover him, to understand him, to seek him with all of our heart so that he would be found by us. We just say, well, God is. And we just say things. You need God to be reformed? Make Him reformed. You need Him to have a reformed theology? Go ahead. My God has a reformed theology. You need Him to be Arminian? Make Him Arminian. You don't know what those words mean? Good for you. Don't ever learn what they mean. They're only 450 years old. You need him to be Republican, make him Republican. You need him to be a Democrat, make him a Democrat. You need him to be a Libertarian, make him a Libertarian. You can do whatever you want with your Barbie God. You can dress him out however you want. And he will agree with you. He will follow you. He will do what you say. And he will always have your back. And you will always be right because you made him. And you gave him the right purse. And you gave him the right shoes. And you gave him the right... You, you understand what I'm saying? We create a God out of God. And when God's not convenient, we change God instead of changing us to conform to God. We just dress him up a little bit. That's all. He's six foot. He's white. He wears a white robe. He's got a blue sash. I've seen it in all the Bibles. He's English. Probably last name of something like Graham or Windsor or something like that. Never mind that Israel was in Egypt for 472 years. So he's probably not white. Never mind that the average height of a Jew in Jesus' day was 5'5 five, five or 5'7. Five, he's still six foot. We want somebody to look up to. He's handsome and ruddy like David. We'll just accessorize him. Never mind that Isaiah said that he was uncomely, that he was nothing to look at. There was nothing about his appearance, the Scripture says, that we should be drawn to him. 
So he's not charismatic and good-looking. We know that for a fact, but we make him that way. We make him to be whatever we need him to be to justify our position to hate, to be racist, to be mean, to be ugly to other people. And that's not who he is. You cannot change God. The joyful thing about Barbie God is you can just bend his position however you want. Bend him over, twist him around. He's got joints everywhere. You can just do whatever you want, and he will be what you want him to be. But God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. And he didn't say, I am the God that was. He doesn't say, I am the God that will be. He says, I am who I am. I exist in the moment right here with you when you think God doesn't see what you're going through. When somebody's stolen all your cattle and all your sheep and the walls have fallen in out of your children, the Lord says, I am God who is right there. I am who I am, not who I used to be. Some of you look back in your life and you're like, it hurts so bad and I remember when God used to, so he must hate me now. Some of you look forward and say, well, when the trumpet blows, all of this pain will go away and then God will love me then. And I'm telling you right now, God said, I am that I am. He is not your Barbie God. He is God. Some of you, and I say that generally speaking, some of you, I've seen this through the 25 years that I've been a minister, some of you, some of you have a sugar daddy God. Yeah. Some of you have a sugar That's real candy right there, children. Some of you are looking at that and say, what is that? It's caramel. It's great. You put that baby in your mouth and warm that up and pull it out. You can twist it all around. You can make butterflies. You can have fights with it while you're still sucking on it. Me and siblings, we used to do all kinds of dumb things with our candy. But the thing about sugar daddy God is, oh, he is so sweet. Sugar daddy God only wants me to be happy. And so he puts sugar on my tongue, on the tongue of my life. What I want is what he wants me to have. He only is pure sweetness, okay? No study required. It's just to him, it's all about the feelings. Oh, I just feel, when you say something, hey, what about God? And they make a statement, you say, why do you believe that? And they say, well, I just feel that. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. What matters is I just feel that. And I can't believe in a God who would do this because I just wouldn't do that as a father. So that I can't believe God would either. Wow, your God must be small if he's following your example. So we just have a sugar daddy God and we just stick him right in our mouth and we're just like, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to just have candy on my tongue all the time. Life really is all about me. God is love, so he would never allow pain to come into my life. I'm going to make God my ideal father that never says no to me. I met a man one time that God was his father God. God was his father God. God was his father God. And he actually made the, the statement that God will never bring a Christian person under conviction. I said, well, the Bible says it didn't matter to him what the Bible said. He didn't feel it. Ladies and gentlemen, it only matters what the Bible says. And by Bible, I mean 66 books, because the Bible is just a cover. But there's 66 books in there, and it does matter what, what's written in there. 
There's people out there got a sugar daddy, God. God wants me to be rich and prosper, just me, me, and me. God uh, says that there's no hell. That's just a metaphor for mean people and bad things happening in the world today. There is no discipline. God's not going to discipline me because that would hurt. God is not going to spank my bottom. He's not going to let me suffer for my co the consequences of my choices because a good father would not do that. The Bible is not important, these people will say to me. Life really is supposed to be all about me. God understands my sin, and he is okay with it. God is grace, and he forgives whatever we do, so we can actually go ahead and do this. Daddy God will give me more stuff to prove that I have the favor of God. Listen, I want the favor of God, but sometimes life hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes I have a day that goes from bad to worse. The other day, it was not a day like Job had, but it was one of those days that I wanted to scream, can it get any worse? Could anything worse happen today? And nothing happened to me personally. I was just inconvenienced and I didn't like it. I was doing something and it's not what I want. I lost the keys to my house and the church and everything else. And I thought, what kind of a fool loses his keys like that? And I was scared to death that they were everywhere. And then you, my imagination takes over. They're going to break into my house in the middle of the night, steal my dogs, not kill my wife, but for some reason, steal my dogs and it was going to be awful and I was pondering this where are my keys I pushed the window down on the truck window my allergies were giving me grief I went to spit out the window it came back in the window and hit me in the face I'm driving down the road and I said for real God and I'm wiping this because it wasn't a little bit and I'm wiping it off my face because I'm so embarrassed I'm getting ready to walk in the house and say to my wife I spit on me Seriously, why can't I just have a sugar daddy God? The joyful thing about sugar daddy God is that he is just so, so, so very sweet. I, anybody will follow a God like that. All he wants to do is give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. When do you give? When do you suffer? When do you let go? When do you go without to see his kingdom come? We forget the encouragement and the warnings that come from the writer in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, when he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to, to, be excuse me, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Because if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's New Testament. You can't even point to the Old Testament and say, well, that was Old Testament. That's God. He is a consuming fire. Yes, He's our Father. Very much so. But do not think that that person we call daddy will not do whatever it takes to correct us because he loves us. I'm talking about discipline out of love. Because whom the Lord loves, the Lord disciplines. It's not 
all Barbies and candy. One more. Some of you have fashioned for yourself a Clifford the Big Red Dog God. You have. You think that God is this big, mushy God who is following you around the earth, begging you, begging you, please, 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 please come follow me. Please come love me. Please come worship me. Please come. And you think God is chasing you around and begging you. And you've got the wrong understanding of who God is. He is not begging you to do anything. He is leaving the 99 to come follow you. But remember, when he finds you, the words that he's going to say to you are, come, follow me. Not, where are we going now? Some of you think that's what God says. Where are we going now? Now what do you want to do? You think God doesn't have a plan except your life. God has a plan and he wants your life involved in it. But you've got this Clifford the Big Red Dog idea of God that it's nothing but emotions. I feel God is loving and I feel lovey when I'm around him. I feel like he wants to be everybody. He wants everybody to be in heaven and he does. I think this is where Rob Bell, with all due respect to the man, wrote the book, Love Wins. Nobody goes to hell. That's, that's the thesis of it. He got it wrong. I think he's chasing a big red dog God. He thinks that God is just a fluffy. Like, like in the movie Despicable Me 3. He's so fluffy! That little girl said, if you haven't seen it, you don't know, go watch it. It's hilarious. He's so fluffy! That you actually think God is crying and weeping and waiting for you, please, to notice him. God is not, that is not a picture of God, a groveler. God is God in heaven. He's not groveling, he's loving, he's pursuing, but his invitation is come, follow me. Not where are we going now. You think he's a big fluffy grandfather that made you the center of the universe. Send all you want, just run back and crawl up in his lap. You're the most important thing than anyone or anything else in the universe. What else can he do for you? The joyful thing about Clifford, the big red dog God, is that you can be his best friend and you can wallow on him. You just think, that's all I need is a God that I can wallow on. I can cry and say, pity me, or I can go to sleep, or I can hug him. And the fact of the matter is, we're invited to come boldly before the throne of grace, but we're called by the writer of the book of Hebrews, don't forget that he's a consuming fire. Don't forget that he's a consuming fire. One of his best friends, so to speak, his name was Isaiah, a prophet of God. And he knew God, and he loved God, and he followed God, and he spoke for God, and he had a vision of God. And this is God's close personal prophet. And he had this vision, and look at what his response was. He didn't have a vision of God as a big fluffy dog. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two um, they flew, the whole, and they shouted, the whole earth is full of his glory. 
I got to lead, excuse me. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with the smoke. And this is Isaiah's responsible, uh, it's a response to his God that he knows very well. Woe unto me, he cried, because I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I, love, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That was his response to seeing God in a vision. He didn't even see God. He saw God in a vision and he fell down and he was crying inside as he was in this vision because he had seen God and he believed he was going to die. There was nothing big, red, or fluffy about that. And he was a good friend of God. Who is, who is God to you? Who is God? There are times in our lives when you and I go through difficult things, difficult times. And in Christ, we can come to know God. We can. He is God our Father. He is Abba. That's a personal and a familial name. Daddy is what it means. And we can come to him. But we've been called to remember that we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. We've been called to remember that we have a God who has been tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. And so we've been told that we can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence to find help in our time of need. And we are going through times of need all the time. A miscarriage that nobody knew about. And you suffer alone or with your husband. The loss of a job and you've got all that time till you have to go home and tell your wife. What are we going to do? Are we going to lose the house? Are we going to have to spend all of our 401k? What do we do? It's inconvenient. But what do you call God in those moments? Some of you are in those moments right now. I know that. What do you call God? Is he, is he God who is faithful and you're hanging on? Is he God who is where the heck are you, God? Is that God? Is he only God when good things happen to you? Or is he God in those other moments as well? What do we do? How do I change my focus in the midst of difficult times, broken marriages, sickness, how do I focus on trusting God like Job did? How do I go through 50 chapters of life and not curse God for what I'm going through? How do I do that? Oversimplification, but let me share this with you. First of all, reconsider. Reconsider your relationship to God. Is there something that you need to repent of in your life? Don't say no too quick. Job examined himself. Paul tells us when we come to the communion table to examine ourselves. We should always be willing and ready to stop and look at the sin in our life and say, God, am I suffering the consequence of sin? Am I suffering the consequence of bad choice? Because sometimes it's the enemy who's attacking you. Sometimes it's not that at all, but it never hurts to rule it out first. Come to the Lord and say, what's going on, Father? And listen. And listen. And if you need to repent of it, repent of it. Because if we repent, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. He'll do that. We have permission. We have his word. The next thing I would invite you to do is I would invite you to get a notebook, fresh and clean. 
maybe one unadulterated with lines. Open it up and smell it. I'm kinky about the smell of fresh paper, I'm just going to tell you right now. You should see the art notebooks that I have all over my house that nobody draws in, and they better not. I just have them so I can smell them. One of them's that big, like that. Open that thing up and recite on paper everything that God's done for you. Start with the day that he saved your soul, unless you want to go back before that. First, first, I want you to come to God, and, I, and what I want you to do is I want you to reconsider your relationship to him. Is there sin? Secondly, I want you to recite everything that the Lord God has done for you. Write it all out. doesn't have to be long, just a little simple sentence, one at a time. Just write it and write it and write it and write it and write it. And when you get exhausted from writing, go back and just start remembering the faithfulness of God in your life. And if he was faithful back then, he brought you here. He will continue to be faithful because the word of God says he cannot be unfaithful. Even if we are unfaithful, God cannot be unfaithful. And then finally, I would encourage you to retreat. If you're going to change your focus and get it off of what's going on and, 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 and get it on God so that you can hang on and weather this storm, you're going to do it by reconsidering what has happened or what you've been a part of. You're going to recite it so you can remember every faithful thing you can of God in your life. And then you're going to retreat into the Word. And you're going to just absorb the Word because it's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces dividing joint and marrow thought. And boom, it, 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 it gets in there. And it, and it challenges you and encourages you. And through the word, God wraps his arm around you. You're going to listen to the people that God sends to your life to give you a hug. Just because he wants you to feel it. Just because. Job had to decide, is God good? And he never knew until he saw God face to face why it happened. He had to decide if he could still trust God after he lost everything that was important to him. So we have to decide what we're going to call God and whether we'll trust him even when he doesn't make sense. Is God only God when things are going my way? Is God only God when he does what I want? Is God still God when I'm scared? And some of you are in here and you're scared. I know that. Is God still God when I'm hurt but I don't understand why? Is he still God? Sure he is. Sure he is. Is he safe? No. Favorite quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. Because he's the king. He's good. And if he's good, I can trust him. But you cannot trust him to be Barbie God. You cannot trust him to be sugar daddy God. You cannot trust him to be Clifford the big red dog God. But you can trust him to be God. And he has proven over and over again that he loves you. And you can trust that. Even when you can't see God presently, then you trust what his hand has done down through the ages. Or the minutes in your life. 
Father, as we come before you, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be upon us right now. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. God, we're hurting, we're suffering. And God, I confess that at times I've made you into a God that you're not so that you're palatable to me. And my life is more convenient, more comfortable. And I know that you're making things inconvenient. But I still trust you in that. It's not fun, and at times it's difficult. But I believe. And so at times I cry, help my unbelief. God, there are people in this room that are going through difficult, hurting, just horrible times. It may be health, maybe relational, maybe financial, maybe sin. But they're going through it and they need you. But they need you to be you. So I just ask and pray that you begin to speak into their heart right now. I release this on them in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into this closing song. That last prayer is the one that snatched some of your hearts, and it's okay. These people are up here to pray for you, and it's inconvenient to come up here. It is. But why go to church if you don't expect God to do something in your soul? To bring healing to the hurt and the pain to your physical body. Why go? Why go? Why not instead come forward and say, God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour, I need you. We're going to go in that song, and you come up here, and these people will begin to pray for you. And if there are more of you than there are prayers, there are more prayers in this church than you can imagine. They will start showing up. So let's do that.